Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Hard Pills podcast, where we are exploring practical insight for racial justice and social change. I'm your host, Andre Henry, a singer, songwriter, and author. And we're kind of doing this special season to count down to the release of my new book, All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep. I said new book. It's my first book, y'all. It's coming out in March. <laughs> um, and really, you know, we're just trying to mainstream some ideas about nonviolent struggle um, in this. So um, the music that you're hearing on the show today is brought to you by me. We're joined today by a very special guest, Reverend Zachary Hoover, uh, the executive director of L.A. Voice and L.A. Voice Action. Um, Zach is a, a seasoned organizer and a personal friend. Like we get together and just talk about social justice, talk about social change, talk about organizing. How can we, um, you know, work together practically to build movements that win? Um, and us coming from a bit of different vantage points as far as organizing traditions, which is really cool because we learn a lot when we're talking. So uh, you all get to eavesdrop on a conversation that Zach and I would probably normally have anyway at a, at a cafe or something. Yeah. Zach, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And we also never talk about race, right? Never. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot that on the list. <laughs> uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Buddy. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks so much. So, uh, Zach, would you just tell uh, our listeners, what, what does your work look like with LA Voice? What do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, we're in the work of building long-term people's organizations. So uh, for us, the way we do that is through, particularly through faith communities, spiritual communities. Uh, in some cases, that means your traditional kind of congregational institution, whether that's a synagogue or a mosque or a, or a church, um, working with denominational leaderships and structures. It can also be with communities that are not organized in the quote unquote traditional way. So mm -hmm. uh, folks who gather around uh, values that for them feel feel faithful, feel spiritual, et cetera. So, and we just, yeah, we yeah. work with over the long term around leadership capacity, uh, around, you know, ability to analyze power, act together strategically. And we try to create an organization that we can move together across LA County. And it's mm -hmm. part of a bigger, broader network in the state and a bigger, broader network in the, in the, the country as well. You know, I think that honestly, my, some of my, con my conversations with you and a couple of the books that you've let me borrow have really helped me to see the, the importance of organizations as we talk about um, moving towards social change. And it's also something I heard, you know, Stokely Carmichael probably was the first voice that really, you know, made this distinction between mobilizing and organizing and the need for organization. But anyway, what I appreciate even just about the way you just described your work is, you know, there's something about building leaders. You mentioned long-term movements and things like that. And I feel like these are important points to make, especially what we're a year out from these massive mobilizations we saw in the wake of the death of George Floyd. And I know that there are a lot of people who, you know, might be asking themselves, like, <laughs> how did millions of us fill the streets? And yet so little seems to have changed, you know? So I wonder if you might just talk about the importance of organi organizing organizations. Why is this an important part uh, to add to our movements for change? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, a, a few reasons and for our particular contribution to movements for justice and you know movements for change. 
One is after you win, you also have to maintain your victory. So mm. I think that's that's one is um, sometimes you'll get a big win and you might even that might even turn into a big game changing policy victory. But immediately the forces of opposition will mount resistance. Um, mm. And so an organization has the capacity, ideally, to defend the victory and advance mm-hmm. it. I'll give you an example from our electoral work, which we do through LA nice. Voice Action, which is a C4. So we did work to a lot of work to get George Gascon elected mm-hmm. as the district attorney of, uh, of our county here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. He's one of the very few progressive district attorneys in the country and certainly one of the only ones that talks about the, the reality of what we know to be true about the justice system. Uh, how racist mm-hmm. it is, why it started, how it got the structure it did, all those things. And he, he will literally say that in a campaign speech. And wow. um, and like not even a month after the election was won, this is before he even took office, um, opposition started raising funds, developing a pack, and trying to mount an effort to recall him. Wow. So, yeah. So how do you fight that back? How do you fight back against that? Well, if you have organization, organization that helped move him into position based on mm-hmm. our shared agenda as, as people in the community, then that same organization can go back and talk to the same people that you talked to about the election and say, hey, this mm-hmm. is what's really going on. You know, yep. don't believe the disinformation that's being put out there by like, let's say, you know, police associations, for example. Um, yeah. Don't sign that recall. Don't sign that recall page. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately yeah. the recall effort, at least for now, has failed. There, you know. Mm-hmm. So th- that's, I think, one example is defending the victory. And then maybe just one other, if I could slip in one more. Yeah, for sure. Is um, I-, I think that we need a whole lot more people mobilizing and mobilizable and organizing over time. And yeah. while a lot of people get into the game at big moments, yeah. Kind of the ongoing development and training of all of us as leaders who can strategize and organize, you know, mostly we're not in big moments. Yeah. So, so inside an organization, you can invest in the constant leadership capacity of ourselves as people. And, mm. um, and I think, I think that's another, that's another big one as well. You know, it sounds almost like you're saying that, like, we need to be involved in this, like, even when there's not a viral police killing in the news. <laughs> um, and and I, I don't say that to shame anybody, but, you know, I do I do want to raise this question because you are like you get paid to organize, you right. know, um, and a lot of there are a lot of folks listening to this podcast who want to be involved, want to be really active in pursuing an anti-racist world, but don't get paid to organize. In fact, I'm going to tell a, just a short story. Like someone sent me a smart, a smart ass message, like to one of my weekly emails or response. And I emailed them back because this was at the time when I got every single email, <laughs> which I don't anymore because now I realize there are a lot of trolls that want to email me. But um, I emailed them back and I told them basically like to go and read up on it. And they said, well, all of us don't get paid to do this like you. And I was like, I don't get paid to do this. <laughs> this is what I'm doing in my spare time, you know. But anyway, there's there's an assumption, I think, on many people's parts that like this kind of work in between 
these spikes of mobilization are the work of professional organizers, of people who can dedicate their whole time. How do you think uh, folks who are not, you know, on the payroll of, of an organization or what like that, how, how can they engage in these in-between times with someone like you or an organization like LA Voice? Yeah, it's great. I mean, almost all of the people who build and make the power that is LA Voice are volunteer grassroots leaders and faith leaders. So mm. similarly, they're choosing. Now, you could make the case that the, the clergy are in paid positions and they're in congregations mm-hmm. that afford them the, the, the opportunity to do organizing. But, you know, most yeah. of the folks that are involved in the organization are, they're not folks who... Um, have a lot of financial privilege. They're not, there are a lot of direct impacted people and they're, you know, making choices around what's impacting them and their own values to, to be part of trying to build power just, just like you are like, Mm. and you're, so I think one, one thing I would just say is like, people can organize resources to hire organizers. That that's another thing too. It's like most of our organizations started because a bunch of people got together and said, we'd like to have a staff person that can help us build power more effectively over the long term. That's actually mm. how LA Voice started. A bunch of congregations got together and said, could we raise enough money to hire an organizer? Because we can do some things on our own, but it'd be nice if we could have a dedicated staff person to support our power building. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that's the first thing. It's just like, you can't always raise money. Yep. But I think the second thing is um, organizations that have the, I think the benefit like we do of having a paid staff infrastructure, our job is to create opportunities for organizing for people. For, for mm-hmm. us, that happens in a particular way with faith communities and spiritual communities or other mm-hmm. kinds of groupings. But any organization um, that's doing good work is going to be able to say, yeah, come on in. Like, we'd love to have you uh, come alongside us or we'd like to come alongside you and learn together, build power together, be involved in a campaign together. And, you know, I think good organizers also, whether they're paid or unpaid, know also how to talk about what a time commitment is. And people mm. should be clear, just be clear. Like, I want to put in five hours a week. And, right. and we have to have that conversation with ourselves first. Like, hey, I got, you know, I got kids or I've got two jobs or I've got one job or I don't have children yeah. or I'm retired or I'm not, you know, whatever the situation is, being able to have a conversation with the other people in the organization and say, this is really important to me. And right now in my life, I'm wanting to dedicate, you know, a couple hours a week to this or 10 hours a week to this or whatever it is, you know? Right. Right. No, that's really, that's really helpful. All right. You've mentioned, you've mentioned a a phrase that we use a lot um, because we kind of understand more movement jargon, but I want, I want to, first of all, I was just excited to talk about it, but also I think people would be, would benefit. What do you mean when you say build power? Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talk about it all the time, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. to me, one simple definition of power is just the ability to achieve purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we think about building that or growing that or nurturing that, we're increasing our collective ability to achieve purpose. Mm. So um, obviously in an organization, you have shared purpose. In our case, it's to make L.A. County the kind of place where everybody's dignity is recognized and honored where there's racial equity and abundant life for all. So we're trying to create more capacity to achieve that purpose. Yeah. Uh, One other definition I like is the ability to define reality Mm. and cause others to react to it as if it were their own definition. Wow. So, um, 
you know, I think about like the work you do around helping people see the world differently, mm-hmm. helping people like even just the phrase, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. In and of itself, um, a power move to shift how people define reality rather than taking for granted what is yeah. actually imagining something different. I never thought about th- thought about the way. See, that's why I like talking to you because you know you make me feel like I'm legit. You know, I love I love that um, that we're digging into this some because this is a part of the conversation, especially around racism, where I feel like it's kind of a place that I feel like people shy away from is talking about power, right and talking about kind of intervening where power is being used in oppressive ways. You know, I find that a lot of folks uh, like the idea of, of ending racism, but don't want to talk about building the, the capacity to do that. You know, what is the capacity that, that it will take to do that? And I know that you've thought about this a lot because we've talked about this a bit, you know, but now I think... One challenge I have, and maybe maybe you have thoughts about this, is moving from the theoretical of, I know that racism has something to do with power. I know that we have to intervene against the, the power of white supremacy in order to, you know, make, make Black lives matter, you know, in countries like America. But what does that look like on the ground, you know? Yeah. And um, I know that... Um, one thing I'm thinking of right now is one of the books that you that you uh, told me about that I have been slowly reading because it's kind of dense for me. But uh, no shortcuts organizing, I think, is the one. And uh, this is your this is the model that LA Voice is using, right? A lot of similarities. Yeah, yeah I mean that's in a labor, yeah it's in a labor context, but it's very mm-hmm. similar in terms of the belief in the deep investment with people and people being part of decision making and strategy and all that. Yeah. So what does that look like on the ground in, you know, a city? You know, like I know that uh, L.A. Voice is working in a lot of cities. So what is what does that what does that model look like? You know, building power in communities for change. Um, I mean, we could talk about the place where you're sitting now. Right. Yeah, Let's do it. And so a number of years ago, we had an opportunity, an invitation from uh, an amazing radical Episcopal priest. Uh, Francisco Garcia to come and start to explore doing some work together in Inglewood. And, you know, the short version is we had a bunch of conversations with folks there, faith leaders, some grassroots leaders, um, folks who wouldn't consider themselves leaders and just began to explore like, what would it, what would we want to use power for if we had more of it together in Inglewood? Mm -hmm. Um, What would it take for us to grow more of it? Yeah. So like on the ground, like what it looks like is one relationships. So our most basic organizing principle is power is in the relationship. So helping people build ties to each other. They don't have to be like deep personal, like I'm going to every birthday party ties, but they need to be real commitments that um, are based on relationship and an understanding of each other. Yeah. And what's important to each of us. So it, some of it is just like people talking to each other, just like creating space for people to listen to each other and yeah. help people see that that's power building. I think that, you know, the, the other example there in Inglewood is, you know, just when you start listening to neighbors, it's obvious that rent is an issue. It's obvious. Yep. And, the sta- and the stadium was still being constructed at the time. There was a lot of concern and rightfully so about what that was going to mean for people, displacement, yep. gentrification. 
So, you know, one of the congregations there led by Pastor Victor Cyrus Franklin, the Methodist church there, amazing radical leader. He's amazing. Um, they, they went and they did with the support of one of our organizing staff. They, they did a canvas in the community. They listened to neighbors. They listened inside their own congregation. They talked to other congregations. And lo and behold, like everybody had a story about rent or housing, but nobody had talked to each other about those stories. So organizing mm-hmm. is just helping people like kind of pull those stories together and yeah. realize like, oh, this isn't like a private thing that's only yeah. happening at the table. Mm. I'm not the only one up at night trying to figure out how to make rent. In fact, you know, if we all raised our hands in the community of Inglewood, you know, like 70% of people are concerned about it or whatever the number is. Yeah. And you help people see each other in that same shared social problem that's actually not their fault. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then interpret what's possible. What does this mean? Why is this happening? And so, like, it's pretty simple. Like, folks just then, like, they create a little team and they go learn together. And they say, like, yeah, well, who does decide what? Why is this happening in different buildings? Why, right. why do rents go up? Uh, whose fault is it? Uh, who could do something about it? How does yeah. rent control work? And then yeah. you make a plan to move things. And in, and in our case, it was a plan to get rent control in the city of Inglewood. And um, it took a couple of years, but eventually people organizing, building organization, you know, they were able to, they were able to make it happen. Um, they, they had a failed attempt, but after that failed attempt, there was victory. So that happens too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I love, I love um, this example because to me, I feel like it can connect the dots for folks who are like, when there's something wrong, the thing that the thing that we know to do is protest. And it's like protesting is great. Like it, it has its function. Right. But, you know, it doesn't matter how many people go out into the streets and chant defund the police together. Like that will not defund the police on its own. You know, <laughs> like at a certain point, we have to ask some of the questions like you were just mentioning, like who who makes decisions about the budget in this city, you know? Um, and yeah, get, getting people who are affected by this problem to get together and, and kind of come up with a plan to move, you know, that target and to be committed to it for, you know, a few years. <laughs> you know, like uh, One of my mentors, you know, who, who led a revolution in Serbia, uh, Serja Popovic, you know, when we talk about the revolution, he was like, they tried to, they tried to do things for like two years. It wasn't really working. And then they took like uh, some time off from actions and just like reflected on what they had been doing for those two years and trying to theorize about what worked and what didn't work. And then they spent the next eight years (laughs) building power you know, in the country until they were able to force the dictator out of power. It's not a part of the common sense that I'm seeing on the street. You know what I mean? Like when there are large protests and I've been a part of different groups, it's not a part of our common sense. Um, Another thing that's not a part of our common sense is like the way that religious uh, organizations can be involved in this. And this was actually a struggle for me when I started really coming face to face with white supremacy in the church. And I like really had to wrestle with like, what do I believe about spirituality in the movement, about the divine, about religious organizations. And um, just in my own reading, I, I at least was able to come to the conclusion that like, you know, religious institutions are at least not essentially non-revolutionary. But <laughs> um, the book that I mentioned before that you recommended to me, like 
called churches in particular and religious organizations, like the organizations of organizations, you know, like not just not only can they play a part in in social progress, but they often do and are often like uh, desirable, you know, to be involved. And this is what LA Voice is really working with. You're working with faith communities. So I wonder if you could just talk specifically about this particular, you know, um, advantages that faith communities bring to the work of social progress and or why, you know, LA Voice has found it important to work with faith communities. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah, thanks. And I know, yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's a, uh, we have um, our own journeys around ways that religious life has been painful, disappointing, <laughs> complicit, yeah. like all the different things. <laughs> yeah. And And I think you're right that there's also a lot of good stories about yeah. progress. First of all, just personally, like I feel called to the work out of my identity as a Christian. And so mm-hmm. like grounded in my identity as a Christian. And so for me, it's just like matters for that reason. But um, right. from a, from a practical point of view, one of the challenges of organizing is gathering people in a way that where people share a common story and you're yeah. always trying to build a shared commitment and a shared um, in a way, a shared identity. Right. Um mm-hmm. Hari Han talks about, Dr. Hari Han talks about having a committed, independent, flexible base. So Mm. um, if you go knock on doors and you're doing neighborhood-based organizing, um, even in a tight-knit community, I think it's challenging to reach the kind of, um, it's different than when you're in a congregation and people already are sharing an identity and a story Mm -hmm. that's tied to their deepest sense of self in most Mm. cases. Mm-hmm. So their biggest questions about the world, their their biggest longings for what reality might actually be and who they are. And mm-hmm. so if you just take one congregation, for example, you know, there's a story that Father John Bauman, Jesuit priest who founded our network, which started as just a training center in Oakland about when they started testing out a congregation based model, which the priest mm-hmm. did not want to do. Um, he was like, "Why? Well, I don't want to do that. Let's do the neighborhood. You know. <laughs> Within, I think within four or five months, they tried out this model where they did all their one-to-ones, their individual meetings of listening, the kind of relationship work I was talking about earlier within a Mm -hmm. congregational community. And they did the biggest action they'd ever done by like four times. Instead of not a hundred people, it was like they filled a congregate, they filled the sanctuary with 400 people. Wow. And the elected official responded quite differently. (laughs) One member of our staff team, Tina McKinner, uh, She's our civic engagement director and deputy director for 501c4 LA Voice Action. Mm-hmm. Also, um, former chief of staff, now Senator Steve Bradford, and uh, was the chief of operations for the California Democratic Party. And she loves to tell our clergy, you have no idea how powerful you are when you go into that room because they know you're talking to a bunch of people every week. Right. Right. Most folks that you knock on the door, do not get to speak to, let's just take your average congregation size. It's probably somewhere in the hundred range. Yeah. Although some are massive. St. John the Baptist has 10,000 families, right? But um, wow, are not talking to a hundred people every single week with a single message. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's either very threatening to you or very appealing or promising to you. And that's real power. And, and yeah. I think the last thing I would say here is, I believe we're all longing to to make meaning of what's going on around us. Yep. And 
all of our religious, spiritual, however we might define that, all all of our um, texts and stories and practices have something meaningful to say about that. So Mm. um, in the sense that spiritual leaders and, and I mean that broadly as well as clergy in the traditional sense can help name reality. What's really going on here? Is it a debate about what the budget cost is and how immigrants are <laughs> paying their fair share of taxes? Or are we actually telling a story about whether believe whether we believe that these the, that these are human beings and that yes. we're family with them and that we're part of one human family? And that mm. sort of ability to tell a broader values-based story that in mm-hmm. a religious setting is, you know, on a at a Catholic mass on Sunday, it's going to be grounded in that tradition or at a synagogue, it's going to be grounded in that tradition um, yeah. or a group of people who are, you know, disaffected evangelicals, but meeting together because they love Jesus. Like it's going to be grounded in yeah. that, but right. it's, it's, it tells a bigger story. And, and that's a lot harder to go on a long ride toward justice when you feel mm-hmm. like you're part of, and you know that you're part of a much bigger story that goes on beyond you. At least I, that's true for me. I can only speak for myself. And I, I think it's true for many people in our organization too. No, it makes a lot of sense because you're sharing, you're sharing, like I, I, the, the point about creating a shared story like really resonates with me because you always see that in a, in a group, you know, like when I'm, I've been in a couple of new movement groups that have started, you know, and there's always kind of, you see it forming, you know, like the way you start to talk to each other, certain language starts to develop and you can c- kind of see, OK, like that, that becomes like the thing that bonds us, you know. And so it just makes sense that, you know, in these different religious organizations, they, they, they've already been rehearsing that, <laughs> you know, in some way, you know, whether it has to do with social progress or not is another story. But like they have some kind of shared identity. It's what makes them keep showing up, you know, on whatever day that they worship together. Awesome. Well, um, we, we've got to wrap up our time. We're almost we're almost through. But before we do, I always like to ask every guest, like what keeps them engaged in the work? So what keeps you showing up? Um, my righteous anger about the way things are. Mm-hmm. So I'm angry about it. And mm-hmm. uh, this is uh, an important way for me to channel that anger um, mm-hmm. productively and effectively, God willing, on most days. Um, <laughs> my son. Uh, whose name is yours with an S on it, Andres. Uh, You know, I think about the world I want him to experience. He's six years old and, and there's a lot of real threats to a good shared life for humans uh, in the next 30 years. And, um, and I want to make it as good for him as I can. And and when I think about him, I think about all the other kids. Um, And I think honestly, like some of what keeps me in it is just the other people. Like, you know, you and I are talking like our, our friendship is, yep. you know, is one example of one of many friendships that keeps me in yeah. it because we're trying to figure it out together. We're walking together. Um, yeah. And and I'm so inspired by always by people who make the choice for for power, for 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 justice, for trying to figure it out, for trying to go on the journey. So um, there's a lot of times when I feel really down and uh somebody else is just doing something not even massively heroic just like just doing the work yeah and i'm just yeah gives me such heart and it helps me to continue on the tough days and winning once in a while 
is really nice. When, <laughs> it really helps a lot when you see. That really does, oh, yeah. Our power was effective. Like, yes. on something and people's lives are better because of it. And, 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 and I'm yeah. lucky to say that over 16 years of organizing, I've seen some real victories that have really changed people's lives. And, and that's always very heartening, too. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Zach, thanks so much for being on the show. I always love talk, chatting with you and it's an honor to have you and to kind of share our kind of like our friendship is special to me. So it's like it's a big deal to me for us to be able to share this with others on our on our uh, in our what do we call the audience? There it is. There's the word in our audience. Cool. All right. So we'll definitely love to have you back on the show sometime. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I feel the same way. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like what you heard and you haven't already, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. Also, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts helps us get into more ears and minds. You can find all the links in the show notes for today's guest, as well as Andre's newsletter, Patreon, and book. You can connect with Andre on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TheAndreHenry. That's all for this episode of the Hope and Hard Pills podcast. We'll see you next time.